Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could join us today. Minnesota is a national leader for women's participation in the workforce. And yet, we also have a wider gender wage gap than most other states. That means that women in Minnesota are consistently paid less than men. And over the past decade, we've made little progress in closing the wage gap. That has huge financial implications for women. The average Minnesota woman loses close to $448,000 during her lifetime due to the wage gap alone. So this hour, I am talking about the latest research we have about the gender wage gap in Minnesota and what we can do to begin to change things. We're taking your phone calls. I want to hear from you on this. Have you ever discovered that you make less than your male colleagues? And what did you say or do? Have other priorities in your life put you on a path for lower pay? And what would you like to see your employer do to address the gender wage gap? Here are the phone numbers to call. You can call us at 651-227-6000. Again, that number is 651-227-6000 or call 800-242-2828. You'll also find me on Twitter. You can tweet me at Angela Davis NPR. Let's bring in our three guests. We have in the studio this morning, Christina Ewig. Christina is the faculty director of the Center on Women, Gender, and Public Policy at the University of Minnesota and a public affairs professor as well. She co-authored the recent fact sheets on the gender wage gap in Minnesota. Good morning, Christina. Nice to meet you. Good morning. It's great to be here, Angela. With us also, we have Young Min Chu, a PhD student at the University of Minnesota Humphrey School of Public Affairs. She co-authored that recent fact sheets on the gender wage gap in Minnesota. Hi, Young Min. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I'm glad to be here. Yes. And next to us, we have Cynthia Bowerly. Cynthia is the Vice President of Strategic Initiative at the Women's Foundation of Minnesota, which is a statewide community foundation focusing on gender equity. Hi, Cynthia. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Good morning. So, Christina, I'll start with you. In, in studying what is happening with how much employers pay people, what have you discovered about what's causing this this gap in pay between men and women? Yes. Uh, Well, what the research tells us is that there are three big factors behind the gender wage gap. Um, The biggest one, about 50% of the gender wage gap, is made up of what we call occupational segregation. So that is where we have uh, a clustering of women in particular kinds of jobs and men in other kinds of jobs. Um, And we tend to pay the feminized jobs, those jobs that have high numbers of women less. So the the type of work. The type of work. So thinking about, for example, a child care provider um, versus a construction worker. Um, We have very high numbers of women in child care, very uh, low Mm -hmm. numbers of women in construction, and... So the occupation, the type. Yeah, so the occupational segregation is about 50%. And then we have uh, about 38% of the wage gap is attributed to um, discrimination. That is what – and really this is a little bit um, difficult to say, you know, is it exactly discrimination? Because the way in which labor economists calculate this is they try to accommodate or account for all the factors that we can measure, and it's very difficult to measure discrimination. So what we can't explain, about 38% uh, we can't explain of the wage gap, but we assume that a good portion of that is discrimination. The other piece, about 14%, is uh, experience gaps. 
And that's really caused by time that's for women, um, time that's taken out of the labor force, whether it's working part time, whether it's taking off that year to take care of an infant child. So you lose experience time, and that really translates into um, losing those extra wages for that time, but also、mm-hmm. promotions and raises. That disrupt- disruption. I mean, that, that's something I've seen、uh, a lot among my friends and even family members.、Um, is this that women? You know, we are more likely to take time off、uh, than men.、Uh, Making a decision to work part time so that maybe we can take care of our young children or maybe aging aging parents.、Mm-hmm. So that that disruption, those caregiving responsibilities, can disrupt your your salary and your pay. Exactly. Right. And、so. that can have really important long term consequences. And、um, again, job experience.、Um, you know, the the length of time that again that interrupted、uh, part of it goes into why we make less. Exactly. Oh,、um, young men.、Uh, Explain the the types of jobs that women hold, how that affects the wage gap. We talked about the occupation. What did you find in that, and how、uh, women do end up in in many lower paying occupations? Yeah, <clears throat> women are、uh, concentrate on some of、um, nurse or、uh, teachers and、uh, some service、uh, sectors and、uh, food preparation jobs. Nursing, teaching, nursing, teaching, food,、mm-hmm. and food preparation.、Mm-hmm. And uh, some um, women of color also do some like uh, work uh, with uh, get paid really low compared to other、um, uh, male dominated field and.、Um, Uh, men are more likely to do engineering and ma-、um, maintenance job,、uh, which get get paid more、uh, compared to women, and um, uh, uh, this segregation uh, certainly uh, impact on、uh, the gender wage gap、uh, in the in Minnesota. And some research also uh, shows that uh, uh, women uh, start to get into、uh, male dominated. Dominated field and uh, uh, these uh, occupations start to、uh, see the wage erosion because of the presence of women. Yeah, it's changing as yeah, more women getting to some of these fields、yeah. that are dominated by men. We're starting to see the the gap. Yeah, yeah, that's encouraging. How does that make you feel as as a young woman? Um, I don't know. Um, uh, the gap increase actually. So.、Uh, As women getting into a、uh, male-dominated field,、uh, the gap increases because the presence of a、uh, woman in male-dominated field means that、uh, the the devaluation of、uh, occupations. So, as a woman, wait a minute, a wait a woman, minute.、Yeah. As we get into more male-dominated fields,、yeah. the wages go down. Yeah, goes down,、uh, especially for、um, male, really、uh, like lawyers and other、uh, kinds of jobs、uh, get paid really high.、Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, really vulnerable pull, uh, for this um, uh, wage erosion. So、okay. that is something、uh, the research shows.、Uh, okay, could you speak more to that,、uh, Christina? Well, just to say that that really、uh, shows the role of stereotypes and.、Um, Discrimination at play. I don't play, know what to make of that because you can have a, a, the same job, but as more women enter it, the wages start to fall. So it becomes to, to it becomes viewed and devalued simply because there are more women in it. There's no other explanation for that. I, I'm trying to adjust my facial expressions, but Cynthia, this is terrible. Yes, it is. <laughs> Good point.、Um, right. So at the Women's Foundation of Minnesota, we are. Our goal is to change systems that are inequitable and drive innovation around gender and racial justice. And so we're grateful for Dr. Christina's,、uh, Dr. Ewig's、uh, research 
And it is frustrating. And what we see is even more stark when it comes to women of, of different races and ethnicities. So while white women in Minnesota are making about 78 cents a dollar for compared to men, um, that's very different. Native women make 56 cents uh, compared to, to men. And even lower and, and even accounting for race or uh, ethnicity, so Native women earn less than Native men. Uh, so it is persistent. And this uh, in Minnesota, we have seen, despite work uh, in policy solutions, we still see pervasive uh, wage gaps continuing. And so that's why we need more policy solutions. And the care issue is really one that we have to tackle. And then we think about the impact, the ripple effects of the wage gap, uh, Cynthia. How does this uh, affect women over the course of their lives and their careers? It's detrimental. It's It adds up over time. Again, Again, because many women, uh, if you start out and you're making less than your male colleagues sitting at the desk next to you or in the uh, on the assembly line next to you, and then it just compounds over your lifetime, especially because women are the ones who tend to take a step out of an employment space to take care of children when they get pregnant uh, or take care of an elderly family member. So it really does compound over a lifetime. Now, I know the Women's Foundation has had um, these community conversations and listening sessions about the wage gap in Minnesota. Uh, What have you heard from people, uh, the stories about how the wage gap is affecting their lives? Well, we also know in Minnesota that... um, so we talked about the the occupational segregation. And so women who are often in service industries are hit hardest and soonest. Like when COVID happened, they were the first to lose their jobs. Uh, and so we heard a lot at that time, particularly about how uncertain they felt their, uh, their employment stability was. And those women are also least likely to have benefits like paid family leave or even sick time off. And so they really have to make choices. And that's what we heard from the community is they really have to make choices uh, between going to work and caring for their children. And that's really an untenable choice for any human to have to make. Mm. All right. uh, If you're just joining us, we're talking about the gender pay gap. And I want to hear from you. Our phone lines are open. Have you ever discovered that you make less than your male colleagues? What did you do or say? And, you know, what are some of the reasons? Have other priorities in your life put you on this path to lower pay? And what would you like to see your employer do to address this gender wage gap? We have three guests in studio uh, who study this and can talk about it, but I want to hear from you too. Call us at 651-227-6000 or call 800-242-2828. Let's go to uh, Rochester and take a phone call already. We've got uh, Jeannie on the line. Good morning. And what did you want to share with us, Jeannie? Um, Hi, I just wanted to share that Um, I experienced a significant wage gap in my career. Um, I'm a licensed psychologist and I worked as a mental health in a uh, mental health agency and I was paid $10,000 less a year um, than my male counterpart. And Jeannie, how did you know that? Was that a conversation you were able to have with your colleague? Um, actually, it was in the old-fashioned days where they put your check in your mailbox, which was open bins, and I pulled my check and looked at it, and I thought, oh, my goodness, this is wonderful, and then I happened to notice it was my male counterpart's check. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh. So this was this was many years ago, and, and so what do you feel when you hear that it, it's still a persistent problem today? I know it is a persistent problem because regardless of me bringing it up, it never changed. And I also think that another thing that happens is harder, less desirable positions 
are covered by women, and then they can keep the salaries low. All right, that's uh, Jeannie in Rochester. Thank you for sharing that with us, uh, Jeannie, for calling in. Uh, let's take another phone call. Uh, let's go to Shoreview, where Shawdon is on the line. Good morning, and what do you want to share with us as we talk about the, the, the difference in pay between men and women? Hi, yeah, so thanks for taking my call. So um, I used to work in HR, and now I'm in a big four management consulting um, company, and um, when I first noticed the, the gender uh, pay gap, I took it upon myself to say, I'm not, I'm not going to let this sort of, um, you know, kind of ruin my trajectory going forward. And so I made it a point um, when employers were not, you know, transparent in the salary from their posting to actually add about 30 to 35 percent on my current role um, when they asked me what I was currently making to make up for that. Just for the, the sheer fact that I was I already knew that I was um, probably not uh, the same level as my male counterparts. Um, and that is also being, you know, being reflected when you look at um, apps like um or go on apps like Glassdoor. Um, there's one called Fishbowl, which a lot of us in the management consulting world utilize. It's anonymous, and we post sort of our salaries and our and where we're located and how many years of experience we have. Um, and there's some you know pretty big discrepancies that you see depending on uh, what company you're from. So yeah, as a best practice, if an employer asks me what I'm currently making, I I, add, I tack on thirty to thirty five percent. Wow. All right. Thank you. That's a, a shot on calling uh, from Shoreview. And, and I'm just going to ask uh, our, our guests about what we've heard in our calls so far, uh, that, you know, this is still happening and, and people are, are being more vocal about it now, which is good, right? Because I recently did a show about pay transparency. But what are, like, why is this still a persistent problem? Why haven't we seen more change over the decades? Cynthia, what do you think? Well, it is a persistent problem. And uh, we know that things like uh, ending pay history questions, like s- preventing employers from asking what your pay history is, is one of the policy solutions that we could have that would help make a difference. It is going to be a combination of a multiple set of policies and, frankly, valuing women's work as we do m- uh, men's work. So um, at the legislature right now, they're considering bills to um, ban the ability for employers to ask pay history because if women have been historically and those roles have been historically underpaid, we're just perpetuating that by mm-hmm. trying to match a salary. Because you're coming in the door saying, you know, this is what I currently make. And so then there's less of a likelihood that they're going to maybe pay you what your you know, men in those roles are already making. Absolutely. I appreciate the last caller's uh, creativity and Mm -hmm. assertion to just add a a percentage on and say, this is what I'm making because she knows that she's already underpaid. Mm -hmm. Um, We also Mm -hmm. do need to just try to get at that uh, disruption in employment. And so paid family medical leave, paid sick leave, those are policies that can really help make sure that people's wages continue and they don't have to make that choice between taking care of their children or a parent or themselves and their job. And uh, Christina, I said in the introduction, Minnesota has one of the, the larger pay gaps in the nation. Thirty-one states have uh, smaller gender wage gaps. Why do you think we're we're, we're not doing better here com- compared to other states? Yeah, that's, that's a really good a really good question. I don't think we have um, clear. We haven't done a study to compare all states to try to figure out, uh, <laughs> you know, why Minnesota sits at at this um, 
at this level of a wage gap that's worse than other states, considering we have very high levels of, of women in the workforce. I mentioned that, too, that we have one of the highest rates uh, of, of participation in the workforce. Mm-hmm. So so women are working here. Oh, yes. You know, we're second in the nation um, for women in the workforce and, and especially high for women with children under six. So uh, women are participating, um, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily participating full time. Uh, in in the workforce, and that can have an impact on wages over time. We know that the state of Minnesota, um, and this is something that the uh, current governor has been doing something about, which is the cost of childcare. We know that we have very high, mm-hmm. uh, very high cost of childcare in in the state, and that means that in the short term, oftentimes families with children may say. Uh, well, I mean, I can speak to experience that my first job, the entire the good thing I was married to someone who had a had a had a job as well because my entire salary went to childcare. So mm-hmm. some folks are going to say, like, why should I spend my entire salary on childcare uh, when I could be spending time with my kids? I had kids to have to enjoy them, right? And in the short term, that may make a lot of fiscal sense. Like, why? negate uh, a whole lot of of paychecks um, to pay someone else to take care of your kids. But in the long term, it means that you lose that experience and opportunity for raises and promotion that we've that we talked about earlier in the show. So childcare and the high cost of it may be a piece of it. Um, It may be leading to more part time work and so on. Uh, But Knowing whether there's more discrimination or more occupational segregation, I'm not sure. But I do think that attacking both all three of those pieces, um, the care work deficit, that's something that we talk about in another fact sheet that we have mm-hmm. on who, called Who Cares. But we talk about the male care deficit. So attacking that male care deficit uh, is uh, is important to getting women to participate more in the workforce. Um, but Enforcing the discrimination laws that we have um, is another way to address discrimination as well as addressing some of these other things that the callers have brought up. Um, So uh, for Jeannie, for example, um, to find out in her in her mailbox, mailbox that she, I that I she's earning I remember that less. Too. I was working right. before direct deposit. You get your paycheck in your mailbox. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, so there was a little bit of pay transparency there. But tra- pay transparency laws um, can allow you to advocate. And so Jeannie's experience, even though she advocated, mm-hmm. it didn't result in success. But for some, for some employers, they can feel shamed, right, for not having equitable pay across their employees. And so that mm-hmm. can be a good tool um, as well. Uh, Youngman, as you've uh, researched the wage gap in, in, in Minnesota, uh, what are, what did you find about why it's remained stagnant over the past decade, uh, meaning that we just re- have not made very much progress to close that gap? Why has this been so difficult to close? Um, I think this is because of the devaluation of a woman's job and uh, just discrimination against women because we uh, just uh, devalue what women uh, is doing and uh, they, uh, the employers pay less because of that. Uh, uh, even if uh, women uh, achieve uh, a lot of amount of um, uh, increase their uh, education and skills in their jobs and uh, also they have to uh, take 
take um, uh, some leave uh, after uh, giving mm-hmm. birth. Uh, that is also a, a, a big piece, big, uh, like uh, Krishna said. So, so I feel like I came back from work feeling like a superhero after I had yeah. my kids. I mean, I think that's how a lot of women see. Like, look at all these things that we can balance and still do. It, it, it should be an asset. Yeah, we should feel like that. But uh, when you see, uh, when you uh, work at a, a workplace, uh, you feel really uh, shameful or uh, stigmatized uh, giving birth and uh, get get out of the uh, labor market and come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should uh, so we should value what women are doing. Uh, that is all another uh, important part to uh, reduce the gender wage gap uh, at this point. Right. Uh, Cynthia, again, I, I feel like there should be celebrations. We, we're back. We took time off. We took care of our parents. We took care of our kids. Now we're back. So let's go. You should get like bonus pay, I think, when you come back into the room. It, it, will that ever happen, do you think? That that we'll see this this change in, in attitude of this this devaluation of of, of women's uh, what we what we contribute to the workforce. I think we're a long way from there. And first, we <laughs> should probably get to the point where we no longer penalize women for right. taking time off. Um, but absolutely, uh, the balancing acts that many women do uh, is really incredible. And and you know certainly. Uh, depending on the household, you know, men contribute more or less to, to that to that work. But we do know that only women take time off to actually have a baby. And uh, and we want to make sure that we are making sure employers don't pen- penalize women for that. What are you th- what are your thoughts about why it's taking so long to see meaningful change? Mm. Is it it's more of just how it's it's a societal thing? It is. And I think uh, one of the things that we know in Minnesota, we have this historically low unemployment rate. So uh, we know that there is a demand for workers. And the fact that we still see this persistent undervaluing and lower wages for women uh, drives us right back to the unexplained uh, percentage that uh, Dr. Ewig mentioned, which is discrimination. So no no one's explaining it when you talk to employers and you show them numbers they don't explain? There are no explanations for it? And I think we we come back really to the three... The three things. I mean, so, so, and maybe I'd like to circle, um, push, push rewind a little bit to connect race and occupational segregation. So, if occupational se- segregation is fifty percent of the driver of and, this wage and gap, occupational segregation is the type of work, the fields, the type of work, right? So, um, and there's a combination of gender and race coming together mm-hmm. uh, in occupational segregation. So, for example. Um, direct care workers uh, are um, disproportionately women of color relative to their proportion in the state versus nurses that are are actually disproportionately white relative to relative to white women in the state. Um, direct care workers earn a what lot less. What is a direct less. care worker? Oh, yeah, Define that, please. And then we did a we did a report that we released last December on called essential and exiting, uh, specifically on um, home health aides, um, direct care, yes. health assistance, and nursing homes. Okay. We all know in this state that we have a crisis of care for our elders and yes. with nursing homes closing and so on. And a big part of that um, is the fact that direct care workers are leaving the workplace. They're paid. They basically, there's they're they're paid the same as they might if they worked in a fast food restaurant. Um, an hour average hourly wage for a direct health care worker in the state is sixteen dollars an hour. Lar- 
disproportionately women of color, disproportionately work that has been related to histories of servitude, histories of slavery, right? And so it's part of that history that that then makes that work particularly low paid. But there are ways in which we can get at that occupational segregation, not I feel like, of course, we want to say value. That's what I say all the time. We need to value this work. Don't you value the women that are taking care of your your elder? Mm-hmm. Um, but there are pieces to that. For example, the way in which we do Medicaid reimbursement rates uh, that hold those wages down because only so much will be reimbursed. So we can begin to pull apart, and this is big. This is bigger work, right? Pull apart specific kinds of occupations like direct care workers, where we know that they're paid less than the value of their work, mm-hmm. um, less than the kind of education that they have relative to other workers, and begin to figure out. What are some of the policies that might actually be holding those wages back? And in that case, you know, some of our reimbursement rates related to insurance um, and Medicaid in particular that then sets those rates for the whole industry become really important. And state-level legislators can do something about that. They can decide a bit about the, the ways in which they weight um, labor mm-hmm. and other elements of those expenses with, those, with that Medicaid reimbursement. We're getting lots of phone calls in. I want to take another call from a listener. As we talk about the gender pay gap, uh, have you ever discovered you make less than your male colleagues? Uh, have you had other priorities that put you on this path to a, a lower paying job? Call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. In Minneapolis, uh, let's talk to Michelle, who's on the line. Good morning, Michelle. What did you want to tell us about this? Hi, I work in a technical field, and um, in that area, I was pretty well aware that I made about 20% less than male counterparts. And after getting a disappointing raise last year, I I went and got a new job, um, and I told them straightforwardly what I expected to make, and they met it. Um, And so I was making what what I should be making. Unfortunately, the company I moved to didn't have the flexibility that I needed to care for three young children, uh, two of which aren't yet in school, and just the the realities of when you have to leave early and if you have to pop out, and they were very rigid. And I actually, I couldn't do it. It did not work for my family, and so I went mm-hmm. back to the old lower-paying job um, because I needed I needed that ability to manage my own time. Mm. And and how does that make you feel? Does it feel like you, you just you can't win, Michelle? Yeah, I mean, it. I was actually like I was really mad at the higher paying company because they purported to be progressive and supportive, but when it really came down to it, I was the only woman with young children, and and they just didn't care and. Um, yeah, it's really a bummer. Yeah, it, it hurts to, to, to hear it. It, it. it hurts to see it, it happening. Um, and so what are your thoughts when you, you hear that this has been going on for a long time and continues to be a problem? I guess, I, you know, I had kind of thought, like, I'm, I'm highly educated in a well-paying field. But, you know, I thought that if I'm, if I just, you know, am straightforward and aggressive with my intentions, that I can make it work. Mm-hmm. And I can get what I need, um, but yeah, even even I can't, and and I'm being clearly on the privileged side, let alone all the other women who struggle with this and don't have the, even the same power that I do. It's mm-hmm. very discouraging. Right. Thank you for sharing that, uh, Michelle in Minneapolis. Uh, to all of our guests, uh, what do you hear there in her voice and in her story, uh, young men? Um, 
I'm I'm sorry for that. And uh, yeah, sometimes flexible working arrangement uh, can uh, allow uh, men and women to balance their work and family uh, responsibilities. But uh, that doesn't mean that uh, every woman can do that. And uh, like she said, uh, in some like in, uh, in job places. Uh, Women are discouraged to do so, and uh, I think it's circle, circling back to the uh, wage trans- transparency laws, uh, because uh, research, research shows that uh, salary transparency uh, can uh, have some like uh, give some opportunities for women to negotiate uh, with their uh, wages. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes uh, that doesn't work, like she said, but. Uh, uh, it gives some uh, opportunities for women to uh, seek another job that pay fairly. So, uh, like implementing wage ter- transparency laws would be helpful for uh, reducing uh, gender wage gap as well. I feel like a lot of women feel like uh, you just you just really can't have it all. You're supposed to lean into your gift and your passion and work hard to you know have this this job of of choice, and then the expectation. Well, if I work hard, I'll excel. I'll be noticed, and I'll be paid well. I'll be paid fairly. Um, but then life happens <laughs> and then suddenly, you know, it's, it's not, nothing seems fair. Does, that's kind of just what I feel. Cynthia? I think Michelle, thank you for sharing your story, really exemplified exactly where we're at. We know that we have a, a huge demand for folks in computer sciences and in the field that Michelle was talking about. Um, She worked to get her education and be available Mm -hmm. for this traditionally male-dominated field. Uh, And when she got there, she found out she was paying less. She did everything right by calling attention to it and making a move. And then uh, it turns out that that employer was um, not willing to find some flexibility for her. And what I will say is I think employers – are learning more and more and we and in this uh, job market they have to become more econo- accommodating um, but we're a ways from that yet and so that is also the um, sort of the male uh, the, the difference between masculine and femini- femininity when we think about jobs and roles um, if you've ever seen this is a, my perfect story if you've ever seen a mom alone on a plane with a crying baby everyone's like oh get that baby to be quiet. If you see the man on alone alone on a plane with a crying baby, everyone's like, oh, what a great father. So that's just an example of how we our bias that is within all of our society perpetuates these mm-hmm. issues. And um, before we, we go to a news break, uh, um, Christina, what are your thoughts on our, our last caller and what she was expressing? Um, what do you want? Do you want flexibility or do you want a high paying job? Well, I think I we, want need, both. we need both. All of us need both in our lives. How can we live full lives unless we can unless we can take care of our loved ones and also earn the money that it takes to to have a good life? Um, so I say both, and I and I would put a, a two finger on Cynthia's point that it is about changing men's behaviors. And so the fact that men are doing, men are not the ones running out to pick up the kids um, after school and having to leave at five o'clock on the dot. If we had more of that, then I think we would see employers and uh, and our society in general valuing that care work when it's more evenly distributed between men and women. Let's go back to the phone lines in St. Paul. DJ is on the line. Hi, DJ. What did you want to tell us or ask? Hi, good morning, everybody. Hi. Um, thanks for allowing me to join the conversation from the other side of the fence. As I was dropping my kid off from daycare and I was listening to 
the call and, you know, I'm thinking about my next meeting and what's going on. I, I'm working with some female counterparts to obtain a new opportunity. And they were laid off in a lot of the challenging situations. Mm-hmm. And during discussion with them, we talked about negotiation. And the first thing that came to their mind is like, this is the lowest I can take. And in my mindset, and maybe it's taught on the gender side, it's not what's the lowest, what's the most I'm going to get out. And for them, negotiation was a fear and a concern. It was not something that, whether this is gender ingrained or whatever it is, but the concept is advocacy, finding support from your male counterparts, and using different techniques that they've used, and finding out what can be best supported, whether that's in the workplace and finding advocates that can speak on your behalf so that your good work does get noticed and just thinking about different techniques to support each other in that type of environment. And that's really kind of the, the piece I wanted to add is it's real. We know it, we see it. People try to work towards it. And in the current environment, a lot of these large organizations are looking to hire female leaders. So strike while the iron's hot, go look for that new job, negotiate, push and get that extra money. Mm. And so, DJ, as, as a man in an, in the workplace, you're you're coaching some of your female colleagues or your friends, and and to how to approach this. Well, I don't know if it's how to approach it, but just a different lens, and whether mm-hmm. that's directed where it's you know, and as a male growing up, it's compete, be aggressive, go after it. And I would not say everybody's the same; every situation's different. Mm-hmm. But be an advocate, listen, and help support that person for what they want to do. And and as a worker, you've you've seen this. You've witnessed uh, women that you've worked with or women that you know make less than their male counterparts. Yeah, I think it's both sides. I mean, there's okay. also women that make more. I mean, it's a balance. But I think the concept is is how do you support those that are feeling it, seeing it, and in the middle of it, and be there for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, part of it is just listening, but also it's it's a tactical approach. You have to put together a strategy because. I mean, just like anything, no one's going to give me a bigger raise because I asked. It's what have I done and how do I show it? Mm. DJ, thank you for calling in and and talking with us today. Uh, I I feel like we need more people like DJ out there advocating for us. Uh, What are your thoughts about what he had to share, Christina? Well, I think that DJ has some really good points. I'm glad to hear that he's supporting some of his female colleagues um, on this front. I think when we talk about um, wage negotiation and raises, there's a couple of things to keep in mind. On the one hand, there is some pretty good psychological and economic research that shows that women are more risk averse than men. And that has to do with socialization. It's not some kind of biological um, piece of women, but rather uh, they're socialized to be, you know, we say to little girls, be careful, whereas little boys were like, whoa, they're just going to take off, right? I mean, so it begins from a very young age um, in terms of inculcating um, some some risk aversion. So that coming naturally to negotiation is often, um, you know, not it's a little bit out of, out of the social norm for for most women. At the same time, we need to be thinking, we have to be thinking about because women are socialized to not be as aggressive, to be more risk averse, when they do push hard on negotiations, they can often be seen negatively. So there's a more there's a, a a real balancing act that women have to play because if they push too hard, um, whereas men and we have some good research on this, and actually there's some interesting variability by by race on this as well. So race and gender connect. Um, but if we look at white women, if white women push too hard, um, they can then be seen negatively, whereas white men, um, 
you know, are, that's the, the expectation is that they will push hard. And so they have no um, negative consequences of that negotiation. And Cynthia, what can you add to this conversation about wage negotiations and, you know, finding the words or, or how do you how do you have these conversations when you know you you should be, can be, could be making more money? I think Dr. Uh, Iwig points out the socialization that we've all faced, and we have to combat that every day. And we it has to start young. Uh, so, for example, at the Women's Foundation, we built, we have a leadership program called the Young Women's Initiative, where young women uh, from across the state of Minnesota find their voice and they start to uh, exercise that in the policy arena. So they go to the Capitol and they advocate and share their stories and what they need. And so we do have to uh, so re-socialize or or have women women build their power starting young. And then we need more women in positions of power because when women are hiring other women, um, we're all socialized. So we might have some of those same instincts, but I think we can fight back against those. So we also know that there is uh, a lack of representation across uh, our demographic groups, whether those are racial or gender. And that happens in our government, it happens in our corporations, happens in our educational system. And so we need to uh, think upstream about this problem as well. And what about the role of men in this? As, as DJ, who called in, described, you know, uh, you know, having conversations and, and helping, you know, women that he knows are, are, are struggling, you know, encouraging them, giving them the words, being an advocate. Absolutely. We need allies in this work. Um, we have a circle at the Women's Foundation called Men of Courage who are willing to stand up when they see uh, racial or gender discrimination. And we all need that from each other uh, in order to change these systems. Absolutely. And uh, also recognizing that it is just a different experience for men than it is for women when you negotiate. And we heard that in the, that call uh, that because of our lived experiences, we know going in, like, they're going to try to lowball me. And so like, we're thinking like, this is the minimum, right? And for a reason, though, right? Absolutely. It's because it's true in our history. So we have to right. change that. Right. Let's take another phone call from a listener in uh, Maple Lake. We have Andrea on the line. And Andrea, what did you want to tell us as we discuss the gender pay gap? Um, well, I'd like to say that I've um, experienced it, it directly and that um, in my employment, I'm an, I'm a manager at a construction company and I have a co-worker who is essentially doing, has less responsibility than I do and is being paid 40% more than I am. And I happen to know this because I do our payroll. And I had a conversation with my boss about it and came to him. And I am a very assertive person. I am in no way afraid or backing down to any kind of negotiation. And I came to him with a very logical argument of here's what my responsibilities are to you and for you. Here's what I bring to the table to you. And here's what this person brings to the table to you. And he essentially said to me, I know that I value, I said, what would it take for you to value me the same way? And he said, I do value you the same way, but I don't have to pay you. He said, I don't have to pay you. As much as this guy. Because that is just the way of the market, and that is just the way of the world. Basically, that's what he said in my negotiation. <laughs> wow. and, and so I, I've, I have never in my life felt disenfranchised until that moment. And I was 
amazed to find that this is a very, very real thing. Mm-hmm. And that, um, and, and I want to say something else also about healthcare workers, those who we have caring for our loved ones. I think you are so right that they are so underpaid, mm-hmm. so undervalued. Um, people who work in um, nursing homes, people who do hospice work, so undervalued. And tend to be uh, women more so than, than and, men. And they do, right. yeah. Um, Andrea, thank you uh, for sharing. I want to take another phone call. In New Brighton, we have Kathy on the phone. Kathy, what did you want to tell us as we talk about um, inequality in pay? Um, what I, my experience um, has was at the university in Minnesota, and I was told basically when talking to the HR about how little I was being paid compared to counterparts in the same type of position, um, I was just told, well, men ask for it and women don't. And it got me thinking about, well, I don't really think a personality trait, it was part of my job. In fact, it was very technical and um, solitary. And just because men in general tend to be more aggressive, that's how they're raised in our culture, um, that I think we need to change the workplace environment mm. so that people are paid for the work that they do and listening to this woman who just spoke, it, it's, that's where the problem lies. Not that, oh, women have to be more aggressive and they have to act more like men, in quotes. Wow. I think we need to be able to allow everyone to, to you know, shine their personality the best. And if that's not being aggressive and, and monetary-based, we still have to pay the rent. Mm. That's Kathy in New Brighton. Uh, wow. Uh, everyone... <laughs> What do you think about uh, these two calls and what they have shared? It's it's kind of shocking. It's like, yeah, yeah, we know this this is just the way it is. Yeah, I mean, Kathy's absolutely right. It shouldn't be. um, Of course, there's a role to negotiating and you can get yourself um, some good things through negotiating. uh, But that shouldn't be what we have to depend upon. It should be more about clear, transparent systems um, that can provide a framework for equity. And so that's where, for example... We, come in, we keep coming back to wage transparency, uh, but wage transparency can not only be a lever for the woman coming in and saying, look, I see how other people are paid, but we can also build it into something larger. For example, I'm thinking about the fact that the state of Minnesota has a pay equity certification that was mm-hmm. um, part of our Women's Economic Security Act. Uh, and what it does is if a large employer wants to contract with the state, they must be certified that they um, have pay equity in their corporation. Mm. If we developed something similar to that for the whole state and not something that was like you must have, but rather something like we think about lead certification for buildings and we think about that being a good thing that people are building green. We need to start thinking about incentives of how do we get employers to think about equity as being a good thing and a way to attract good talent. Uh, And so Mm -hmm. having wage transparency – and using that themselves to monitor themselves. And so it's not just about 
Kathy or Andrea going to their employer, but their employer doing their own monitoring about what their what their wage scales look like. We just have a few minutes left. I want to make sure we we talk about some of the findings uh, when you all looked at rural areas and urban areas. Is there is the wage gap similar there when we look at urban women who working in urban areas and women working in rural areas, uh, young men? Yeah, uh, for uh, women working in uh, urban area has uh, less uh, pay gap than uh, women in greater Minnesota. So uh, we can say that uh, there's some discrepancy uh, in terms of uh, geographical uh, areas. So, so what does that mean? Women working in in urban areas, the the gap is is more narrow. Yeah, than uh, greater Minnesota. Right? Is that right? And Christina, is is that what we're seeing when we look at? At, oh, at like small right. towns, no, is it roughly it, no, the same? Or? Yeah, it's it's actually um, uh, women in rural areas actually make slightly more young men. Uh-oh. Uh, oh, they're making <laughs> so they're doing better. They're doing a little bit better uh, than women in in the is metro it types area. Types of jobs, do you think? Maybe. Um, and I think it has to do with types of jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a lot more variation in the greater metro, um, and so I think you're going to see less variation, and so therefore the wage gap. So the wage gap, if we look over over a five year period, is seventy nine cents to a dollar in the metro area versus eighty one cents to a dollar um, in greater in, Minnesota. In greater Minnesota, but overall wages in greater Minnesota are lower. So for mm-hmm. men and women. Okay. Um, and we just yeah. have a minute left, and uh, Cynthia, I'm going to put it on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, encouragement moving forward? Is it by bringing it up as a topic, having the conversation? What are the, the, the steps, the actions we can take now? So this is a different conversation when we talk again in a year. I think it's all of it. I think everyone has a responsibility. So certainly we need more from employers in terms of both uh, transparency and equity. And that has to be not only in wages, but in valuing care. And so we know things like paid family medical leave will make a big difference in the long term for women's uh, pay equity. So absolutely, we have to keep working on it all together. And all of you brought in this report, uh, the fact sheets we've been talking about. Can you tell uh, our listeners where they can get this information online if they want to read like all the statistics and the data that uh, you all have collected, uh, Christina? Yes. So um, you can find all of them on the Center on Women, Gender, and Public Policy of the Humphrey School of Public Affairs website, z.umn.edu backslash CWGPP. And we'll put it on my webpage, on my website, too, if you go to nprnews.org and pull up my show. We'll add it there so folks can read through it and see it. Uh, Thank you so much, uh, all of you, for shining a light on this important topic. And thank you for uh, all of our listeners who called in and shared their personal stories. Great to be here. I enjoyed the conversation. We've been talking with Christina Ewig, Faculty Director of the Center on Women, Gender, and Public Policy at the University of Minnesota, as well as Young Men Chu, a PhD student at the University of Minnesota at the Humphrey School. The two of them worked on a recent fact sheet on the the gender wage gap in Minnesota. Also with us, Cynthia Byerly, Vice President of Strategic Initiatives at the Women's Foundation of Minnesota. We'll have more information for you on our website, mprnews.org. This conversation was produced by Samantha Matsumoto. We'll talk again tomorrow morning. Bye. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.